is there truth about abortion or is everything just opinions? Is someone actually right? Or is it just so much nuance and intricacy? You can't say anything is black or white nowadays. Well, today I want to give you certainty. Let's discuss the most common pro-choice arguments that I'm hearing and see if they make sense. What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Andrew Ramon Show. Today is an episode you're not going to want to miss. Of course, by the title of it, you already know we have a show for you. Although, like VeggieTales, man, this ain't gonna be nice. Mm -mm. This is gonna be spicy. It's gonna be controversial. But it's gonna be a conversation worth having. I know it. You know, a good example I thought about it is uh, it's gonna be so spicy, it's even gonna be hard to digest. Some of y'all know that like a little bit too well on the personal level. I had to man up for this episode, guys. I had to grow a beard. How, how, how y'all feeling about this beard, man? Some people wouldn't even call it a beard, but that's okay. I'm proud of it, okay? You know, my goal today is not to add my two cents to this whole conversation about being pro-life, pro-choice, questions about abortion. There isn't a shortage of opinions. There's so many quote-unquote experts out there you can listen to. But as I've said before with some other just related conversations or just controversial topics in general, I'm interested in the truth. What is the truth? Because I don't want to think a certain way just because that's how I grew up or that's how I've been taught or everyone else thinks the same way. I want to believe something because it's true. Do you? Then welcome to this episode. Don't log off even if you disagree with me because the question becomes, is there truth about abortion or is everything just opinions? Is someone actually right, thus meaning someone else might be wrong? Or is it just so much nuance and, and intricacy that is just, you can't say anything is black or white nowadays. Uh, but I hope that today I can share with you truth that even if you disagree, you'll listen. Because I'd like to hear why you disagreed. Like, if you do disagree, don't just say, I disagree, and then dismiss everything I said, because that's not really an argument, you know? But if you do, um, tell me tell me why. All I ask is that you watch the entire episode, and then if you still disagree, tell me why in the comments or shoot me a DM, talk to me on social media, whatever it is. Uh, last year in episode 72, I did an episode titled The Truth About Abortion. And in it, I talked about the scientific case to show that an unborn child is a human being. Check it out. It's a really good episode, a lot of great content. But today... I want to direct this episode to Christians who are feeling divided on the issue of abortion. I know I'm not the only one who saw the mixed reactions to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, right? Some Christians celebrated what others didn't because they said it's not a day to celebrate because there's so many women hurting and some rights have been taken away and we are supposed to mourn with those who mourn, right? Some pastors were very vocal about the day while others were silent. Many videos even surfaced on social media about God being pro-choice because he gave the choice of people whether to choose life or death. And who are we to take that God-given choice away? More videos from self-identifying Christians saying that overturning Roe v. Wade was actually a bad thing because as Christians, we shouldn't force our morality on others. We shouldn't judge others. Being Christians means being tolerant. We shouldn't legislate our morality, but have grace, compassion, love, and not decide whether something is right or wrong. That's not our position. God is a judge at the very end. Whoa. All those mixed reactions, this would leave anyone confused. And it seems better just to shy away from this conversation because, hey, man, there's just so many different opinions and it's better just to kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, 
People will be people. People will have their differences. Too political, too hot of a topic. Well, today, I want to give you certainty. Let's discuss the most common pro-choice arguments that I'm hearing from people who identify as Christians and see if they make sense. The first argument I've heard very often is that as Christians, we shouldn't legislate our morality or impose our our morality on others. You've probably heard this argument. My answer is twofold. First, on the idea that we shouldn't legislate morality. I mean, let's be honest, it sounds pretty tolerant, right? I mean, it's also a common phrase, it's a similar one, that you can't legislate morality. But today, this is being completely misused and misunderstood. I've said you can't legislate morality, meaning that a law can't change the heart of a person. And this is why people are like, hey, don't even waste your breath trying to make abortion illegal because it won't change the heart. You're right, The gospel, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. But don't confuse that although laws can't change the evil inside of hearts, they can stop evil actions. All laws legislate some type of morality in some sense. They they deem something wrong, thus make it illegal. Like, why do you think it's illegal to run a fraudulent business? Because it's wrong to, to defraud people. It That's why theft is illegal. It's wrong to murder someone? Yes, that's why it's illegal. So a huge function of laws is already to legislate morality. So we try to like put religion over here and, and religion and morality over here, but Come on, guys. Everyone has their own presuppositions. Everyone has a morality that they're trying to legislate. So the question is not, should laws legislate morality, but whose morality will we legislate to begin with? And I understand this kind of concern of, I just don't want to impose my beliefs on others because, gosh, we live in the the country of what? Some like 330 million, I don't know, haven't seen the latest population statistics. It's a lot of people. So not everyone's going to agree on everything, and that's why we have an elective government, so many different states. But there are laws that are not in dispute here, that are not in the ballot, like murdering the innocent. That's a good place to start. Like last time I voted in Texas, there wasn't a place there where it talked about the, the all the most recent and controversial topics like, you know, vote on gun control, vote on, on climate change. There wasn't, do you believe murdering should still be illegal? Uh, yeah, no, no, man, that's a good question, man. I haven't really thought about it. You know, it's just a very nuanced topic. I don't know. I got to have more conversations about this. No, that wasn't there. And the reason I'm bringing this up because I want to kind of take a, a pause and address a quick note here when it comes to kind of making laws, making things illegal, because there are some that say that even if you were to make abortion illegal, it won't stop women from having them. It won't really make a difference. All you're doing is actually making it more dangerous for women when you make it illegal. Well, that's wrong in several ways. First of all, the reason we make abortion illegal, the principle of it is not based on how effective the law is. It is because it is wrong to kill an innocent life, and we're just extending that to the to the unborn. You can say that the same argument that you're saying that, well, it just won't stop anyone, so why make it illegal? You can say that about everything that's illegal nowadays. Hey, why make theft illegal if people will still rob banks? So what? Why, gosh, why make anything illegal, right? Why make murdering illegal if people will still murder each other? Killing an innocent person is wrong infringing on an innocent person's right to life is wrong. That's why it's illegal. It's evil and it's wrong. What could be more innocent than an unborn child? Why don't we extend that to the unborn child? The baby is literally the definition of innocence. 
So this idea that I'll we shouldn't we should have laws about everything except protecting the unborn. What? Come on now. Secondly, a, a reason that that kind of that thought is is erroneous, I guess. Is that a, is that an actual word? Erroneo? Erroneous? I'm pretty sure that is flawed is the claim that abortion restrictions don't reduce abortion. That's false. A study that analyzed over 1,100 counties in 18 different states found that abortion restrictions were associated with a significant decrease in abortion rates, a 17% decrease from the median abortion rate. In California, for example, more than two-thirds of women who were denied abortions because of restrictions on late-term procedures carried their pregnancies to term. Studies show that a quarter of low-income women who would get abortions instead gave birth when public insurance no longer covered abortion costs. And in Texas, abortion regulations that closed some abortion clinics caused the abortion rate to drop between 10 to 20% the following year. Most recently, Texas abortions dropped to a minimum of 10% after they passed their heartbeat bill, with other estimates being much higher. Another study, which we'll see, if it's true, suggests that repealing Roe v. Wade and allowing states to set their own abortion policies would reduce abortions nationally by 6 to 15%. So all these sources can be found by Upward News. You know, follow them on Instagram, on Instagram, on Instagram, on Instagram. Again, so this idea that, oh, it just restrictions won't make a difference. No, they in fact do make a difference. That's why we make things illegal. In the topic of enforcing laws that make abortion illegal, I've also heard that if we make abortion illegal, it will cause thousands of women to die from illegal and back alley abortions. And guys, if that's true, that's like a genuine concern. No one wants a woman to die, especially if they're found in, in a very difficult situation and because it's illegal, they have to go find some some kind of like, I don't know, back alley necromancer to try to do the procedure over here. That's how it's kind of you know told the story. And so the thought goes, right? That as a Christian, you might say, well, I personally wouldn't get an abortion. But if someone I knew would want to get an abortion, I just want it to be safe and I want it to be legal. We're going to address the whole me personally this, but, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm against abortion, but that type of thinking a little bit later down the road. Uh, but let's just settle the question about back alley abortions. First of all, let's get something straight. Abortion is never safe. A successful abortion always ends with the killing of an unborn child. So saying that I want abortion to be safe, is, it's an oxymoron. It's not safe for the baby. Abortion is, is, is a euphemism. It's a soft word hiding an ugly truth. So what you're really saying, and this is going to sound kind of harsh, but it's true. You're saying, I wouldn't kill the unborn child. But if someone were to want to kill them, I just want to make sure they do it safely and legally. What? Like, it's like saying, I wouldn't kill someone, but if someone, if I, if a friend of mine wanted to kill someone else, I just want to make sure that they're safe and that it's legal, you know? What is that type of thinking, my friend? With every abortion, you're killing an innocent life and you're putting the woman in danger of harm. Between 1940 to 1970s, the mortality rate of women who had abortions radically declined due to better medicine and increased use of antibiotics not because abortion was made legal because the thought is that there are tens of there were tens of thousands of, of women before Roe v Wade was passed that that died from back alley abortions so if we uh if we reverse Roe v Wade and make abortion illegal there's going to be tens of thousands of women that die from back alley abortions that's a lie 
between 1940 to 1970s, the, the rate was already radically declining, not because it made it legal, but because of better medicine and increased antibiotics. Also, this lie that there were tens of thousands of women dying from back alley abortions before Roe v. Wade was passed was promulgated by two main individuals, Larry Layden and Bernard Nathanson, who were the founders of NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action, Action League. Bernard Nathanson, thank God, would have a radical change being an abortion advocate to being a pro-life advocate. And it was when he was pro-life advocate that he went on to admit something that just destroyed this narrative. He said, quote, when we spoke of, and he was talking about deaths due to illegal abortion, it was always 5,000 to 10,000 per year. I confess, I knew the figures to be totally false, end quote. For example, according to the CDC in 1972, this was a year before Roe v. Wade was passed, 39 women died from illegal abortion. Tragic, but that's not 10,000. And 24 died from legal abortion, interestingly. In 1973, the very year Roe v. Wade was passed, 19 women died from illegal abortion, while 25 died from legal abortion. Did you hear that? The, the year it was passed and it was made legal, more women died from legal abortions than illegal abortions. Also, very worth noting is that in the U.S., the U.S. has a higher maternal mater, m mortality rate than some count countries that have stricter abortion policies. So, for example, in 2019, the United States had 14 deaths per 100,000 life births. Poland, whose abortion policy makes abortion illegal except in rare cases, they had three deaths per 100,000 life births. Malta, that country where abortion is completely illegal without exceptions, have nine deaths per 100,000 births. And I guess we're not taking per the population, we're taking the rate, make sure everything's even and fair when you calculate these rates. So this is complete fear-mongering on the side of pro-abortion advocates. This is a complete lie. So when we say that someone, that we shouldn't legislate our morality, we, we, we just talked, it just doesn't make any sense. They're confusing objective claims for subjective claims. The claim is not, I don't like abortion, thus it, it is wrong, because that's a subjective claim. People would just say, well, if you don't like it, don't get one. If you don't like it, don't support it, but let people decide. That's not the claim. The claim is, it is objectively wrong to intentionally kill an innocent person period. It is always wrong to kill an, an, an intentionally kill an innocent person. That's the claim. So because abortion is wrong, I don't support it. It's not, I don't like it, so I think it's wrong. No, no, no. Don't confuse that. It's not subjective, the claim here. It's objective. This isn't like my morality I'm trying to force on people versus someone else's morality. This is like the morality that tells us that rape is wrong. This is like based on God's word as well, but we have a confirmation within us the way that God has made us that we all have this moral compass, although sometimes it can be corrupted, and we understand that there's the morality, that it is always wrong to intentionally kill an innocent person. I'm not advocating to legislate my personal morality. Like if I feel like it is morally wrong to eat pickles, which it is, I feel very passionate about this. If you eat pickles, just morally, just terrible person, I'm so sorry. So we're just gonna legislate it and sorry, you eat pickles, you go to prison, my man. No, we're not talking about that. Similarly, the thought though with like people who say, well, Christians shouldn't impose our morality on others, that type of argument is very similar. It confuses the issue. I agree. 
although it is wrong to have sex out of marriage and it goes against God's design, yes, that's wrong. Now, does that mean that we should make a law making it illegal to have sex out of marriage? That's a tough one. I'm not really sure about that. I'm not going to go around to every unmarried couple that I know who, who isn't the Christian to make sure that they don't have sex before marriage. Like, that's none of my business. Or when it comes to swearing, yes, swearing is not good. Now, do I go around with a piece of soap washing everyone's mouth who I hear cuss? No. In this way, I'm not going to force my morality on people who are not Christians. I agree with you if you think that way. However, this isn't what we're talking about. I'm going to sound very repetitive throughout this episode because that's just the answer is not complicated. The argument, this argument is not based on... Um, on logic or even tolerance is based on apathy. This whole idea that you shouldn't impose good morality against those who have, who have bad morality. That's not even tolerant. That's not logical. That's just apathetic, my friend, because you do realize that evil is stopped when you enforce good. Like it has been said, and it remains true that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So here's a good example, the evil of slavery, something we all agree that it is evil. Interestingly, it was legal. So there's a whole thing, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's evil, but laws definitely help enforce something as it did for slavery. Now, the evil of slavery was stopped here in the US and in Britain. Why? When men and when men and women enforced biblical morality, William Wilberforce, a man of faith himself, fought to legalize, here we go, listen to me, to legislate morality and to enforce morality to help end the legality the legality of slavery. The same argument that some people use to be apathetic about abortion, and this is some Christians, you can just turn that around and, and say that that could be used to justify slavery, saying, well, I personally wouldn't own a slave, but but I'm not going to make it illegal for someone else to own a slave. Gosh, they have a choice. You know, I personally... I don't like slavery. Now, would I abolish it? That's a tough one. I feel like there's a lot of nuance. You know, you don't know what kind of situation the owner might be in. Maybe he needs a couple extra hands. So I wouldn't abolish slavery myself, but me personally, I wouldn't own a slave. This is nonsense. Has anything I said so far seemed unreasonable, hateful, intolerant, bigoted? Like I say that, like serious. If so, tell me. But interestingly, even though I'm pretty sure everything I said it makes sense, and that's not my opinion, I'm sharing truth here, there's always those that say, Andrew, I agree with you, but. There's always a but, right? No one wants to actually change their mind. Which, can I make a quick note? You're allowed to change your mind. If you've been pro-choice and you've thought all these arguments that I'm kind of refuting here, it's okay to change your mind. It's actually like good. It's like the bravest thing that you can do is change your mind. And I encourage you obviously to change your mind to what's true. But there's always that guy that says, I don't know, Andrew, you, 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 you make some sense, but I think it's the woman's right to choose. So here we go. That's the second argument. It's the woman's right to choose, which then I ask, well, to choose what? To get a piercing, to get a tattoo, to get like a, just a surgery done on, on, on their body? Oh, you mean to get an abortion? Oh, okay, okay, okay. So what you're really saying is it's the woman's right to choose to kill their unborn child. Okay, Andrew, you ain't got to put it that way. You know, when you put it that way, it sounds kind of it sounds kind of tough, you know? But isn't it what that is? That is what an abortion is. You're like, oh. you know, Andrew, it's just 
there's just a lot of nuance to it, you know? And by the way, we're going to talk about that. So I don't want to be insensitive to a woman's situation whatsoever, but let's just talk about the truth here. Your right to choose ends when you infringe on someone else's right to live. I'm just going to say that. Your right to choose ends when you infringe on someone else's right to live. You don't have a right to murder someone with your own body. You don't have a right to sexually assault someone with your own body. You don't have a right to murder an, an innocent child. But our culture is so deceived that we can't get it out of our brains that abortion is not healthcare. Abortion is specifically terminating the life of the unborn child. Abortion is not a miscarriage and is not dealing with an ectopic pregnancy, as we will talk about later. But we can say all this, but we still say the famous phrase, her body, her choice, my body, my choice, right? Which, to be honest, like if you believe this, maybe you don't, that's fine. But if you really believe this type of thinking, I honestly can't believe we're still making this argument. We're not talking about her body. Can we just make that even more clear? I have, I want nothing to do with the woman's body. Okay, that is her body. Like, cool, girl, you go. Get your piercing, get your belly piercing. I don't really care. But we're not talking about your body. Like, does a pregnant woman have 20 toes and 20 fingers? Does she have male genitalia if she's having a boy? No, because that is not her body. A woman doesn't die after a successful abortion because they didn't abort her body. Follow the science, they say. I'm following the science, and it is distinctly and uniquely a human being growing inside of her womb. A woman is not the giver of life. God is. She is just the one that gets to have the privilege to carry that life. Oh, but they say, but it's attached to her. So what? Like, attached? That that's that that is what gives you the right to in someone. Like if I define attachment. If 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 I hold the hand of somebody, I have the right to kill them because I'm somewhat attached. You're like Andrew. You're taking it to the extreme. Yes, I'm taking it to extreme to show that that is an absurd argument. You know, this is what's called the sled fallacy. It's developed by author Stephen Schwartz. It's an acronym for all the reasons that people give why the unborn babies don't deserve a right to life. To life. The acronym goes like this: It's sled S L E D stands for size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. I have covered this more, a little bit more in detail in episode 70, but I will do so briefly here because it has to do with this idea of like my body, my choice. And like, as if the woman has all these, all these rights, but the baby doesn't. So first is the, the question about size. People say, well, embryos are just really small. You know, they're, they're small, even six weeks are just tiny. So, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, that's a great observation. They are pretty small. They're smaller than newborns and smaller than adults. So what? Why is this relevant? Is someone's value really determined based on their size? Are taller people more valuable than short people? Do heavier people have more right to life than skinnier people? Size doesn't equal value. Then level of development. Yes, it is true that an embryo is less developed than you and I. But again, why is this relevant? A four-year-old boy is less developed than a 14-year-old boy. Is one more valuable than the other? Are older siblings more valuable than their younger siblings? If so, I'm screwed because I'm the youngest. Dang, I knew it. All the bullying my brothers did was right. I'm less developed. Come on, guys. I mean, I'm being sarcastic to show that this, these are absurd, absurd arguments. How about environment? Does your value actually change depending on where you are geographically? Like, I want you to think about this. Some people, the problem with us is we don't think deeply enough because I think we just don't care deeply enough. That might be a whole saying in itself. Author Scott uh, Klosendorf, he, he put it this way. Uh, does your value change when you cross the street or roll over in bed? If not, 
how can a journey of eight inches down the birth canal suddenly change the essential nature of the unborn from non-valuable tissue mass to valuable human being? Makes a lot of sense. How about the degree of dependency? Yeah, the unborn baby is really dependent on the mother. You're absolutely right. But so is a newborn baby. And young kids, for the matter, gosh, I know some teenagers that wouldn't have any value if the degree of dependency was the metric of worth. They can't, gosh, they can't even do anything without their moms. <clears throat> I'm probably talking about myself. No, I promise. I'm a, I'm a grown man. I still love my mama, though. So to quote Scott again, the author we previously quoted, he said, quote, in the past, we used to discriminate on the basis of skin color and gender, but now with elective abortions, we discriminate on the basis of size, level of development, location, and degree of dependency. We've simply exchanged one form of bigotry for another. Argument number three. And here I'm combining a couple that say that God is pro-choice, that God because he's pro-choice, we should in fact kind of be pro-choice and just respect the choice that people make. And as Christians, we shouldn't judge. Let God judge in the end. On my TikTok, I responded to a specific video that claimed this. So a <clears throat> little plug there. Follow me on TikTok if you you know waste your time there as well, just like me. Uh, but the idea goes that God is, well, pro-choice because he gave man the ability to choose. And even though man has chosen wrongly at times, you still have the right to choose since the beginning given by God. Who are we to to take that away. It's a very it's a very slick and tricky argument. I'll completely admit that. But it's wrong. Because you see the definition of pro-choice is very specific, right? Cuz they take the they take the very famous uh well-known definition of being pro-choice which means pro, being pro-legalized abortion and they kind of take the word and totally shift the meaning. Being pro-choice doesn't mean being pro the ability to choose and the free will that God has given us. That's like never the definition of pro-choice. So trying to prove like that God is pro-legalizing abortion, yeah, that's going to be a really hard one. Also, um, God gives the ability to choose. Amen to that. Free will. Praise God. That doesn't mean that any choice that we make is okay because he gives us the, gives us the ability to, to choose that or that he's okay with it. Two instances, instances in the Bible come to mind. First, Genesis chapter 4. Cain was jealous and extremely angry. And God asks him in verse six, he just asks him pretty straight up, why are you angry? Why is your face downcasted? If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What God doesn't say here is, Cain, why are you so angry? If you do whatever you want, you'll be accepted anyways. Although sin is crouching at your door, I gave you the right to choose, so I'm fine with whatever you choose because, hey, I gave you that gift. No. In Deuteronomy, Israel's presented at a crossroad where it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So God gave us a choice, but then he gives us the answer to the test. Like, hey, guys, I gave you a choice, but choose life. Tragically, our society has chosen death, and now we're not giving life to our offspring. We're actually literally killing our offspring. God abhors the killing of the innocent. Proverbs chapter 6, in verse 16, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. What could be more innocent than the unborn? I want you to ponder that question. You see, I can feel someone right now is about to say, Andrew, I agree with you. 
but, because there's always a but. As believers, we're just, we can't judge, right? God is the judge. Our job is just to have compassion. We, we, we shouldn't be like the Pharisees who are about to stone the woman caught in adultery, right? He's He who is without sin cast the first stone. Who are we? Okay, quick note. Jesus in that moment doesn't tell the woman caught in adultery, hey, God, hey girl, um, honestly, no big deal. No big deal. They're actually exaggerating. You didn't do anything wrong. No, no, no. What does he say? Go and what? Sin no more. So what she do, does is sin. So he doesn't excuse what she did. Also, Anyone who wants to throw a stone is completely wrong. People who just want to condemn and throw stones at women who have committed abortions or people who are involved in that, yes, I agree with you that. But why is telling the truth in grace considered throwing a stone? Why is standing up for the life of the mother and the unborn child throwing a stone? It's because we have fallen for the lie of tolerance. But you say, I thought, Andrew, I thought Christians, we, we were called to be loving, right? And thus, being loving means being tolerant, even if we disagree, right? Well, Pastor John Bevere makes a noteworthy comment. He says, quote, Jesus warns the church in Thyatira against tolerance, which was leading them to immorality and idolatry. Our culture often confuses love and tolerance, but the two couldn't be more different. Love seeks the other person's good, while tolerance seeks to be thought as good in another person's eyes. Love comes from fearing God. Tolerance comes from fearing man. Nowhere in scripture is tolerance held up as a virtue. Just a reminder to anchor your values in God's word, not in the world's broken system. And this takes us to the final argument that I want to talk about. It's when someone says, well, Andrew, abortion is a very nuanced topic. There's just so many different situations, right? No one can really say anything black or white. And because it's so nuanced, the only thing we have is unco- it's just comfortable and uncomfortable conversation. I say uncomfortable conversations because there's a whole trend of that uh, with, with a gentleman who does uncomfortable conversations. And he did one about abortion. It's just so nuanced. We got to understand the details about the situations and dun, dun, dun. And, and hey, at the end of the day, though, everyone will have their opinions. Okay. Told you it was going to get spicy. Here it comes. Let's get something straight. How you help the mother in need is very nuanced. How you help the baby is not nuanced. That's very black and white. How about you don't kill it? Was that too much? Did I step on some toes? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest here. How you help the mother is very nuanced. But how you help the baby is very black and white. Just don't kill it. So the conversation of abortion is not nuanced. How you help the mother is, how you save the baby is not. Each mother can be in all sorts of different situations, in in horrible and difficult situations. I possibly cannot begin to comprehend. But what is not nuanced is saving the unborn. And understand, there are many reasons women get abortions. For example, uh, Florida's Agency for Health and Care Administrations, their 2015 data showed that that out of all the abortions, 0.001, Percent. The reason was that the pregnancy resulted from an incest, incestuous, so that's from incest. Horrible thing. 0.065 was that the woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy. 0.085, the woman was raped. 0.88 and 0.94, the woman's physical health was threatened by the pregnancy. Uh, let's see. 
Oh, okay, okay. 0.88 is the woman's physical health was threatened by the pregnancy. 0.294, the woman's psychological health was threatened by the pregnancy. 0.66, there was serious uh, fetal abnormalities. 6.26%, social or economic reasons. 92.3%, no reason at all. Elective abortion. In each of these situations, you might need to help the woman differently. But which of these reasons actually justifies intentionally killing an innocent human being? Spoiler, it's none. A pregnancy due to incest, it is a horrific thing. But when do the circumstances surrounding your birth determine your value? When the woman's life is endangered, there's actually a lot of misinformation about this. Over a thousand doctors agree, um, and many more, but over a thousand have signed the statement that abortion is not medically necessary to save the mother's life. This is what they signed. Quote, as experienced practitioners and researchers in obstetrics and, oh gosh, I can't even say this word, gynecology, we affirm that direct abortion, the purposeful destruction of the unborn child, is not medically necessary to save the life of a woman. We uphold that there is a fundamental difference between abortion and necessary medical treatments that are carried out to save the life of a mother. And even if such treatments results in the loss of, an, of her unborn child, we confirm that the prohibition of abortion does not in any way affect the availability of optimal care to pregnant women. End quote. What about if the woman is raped? Again, horrific. But why is the one receiving the penalty the unborn child and not the rapist? One violence does not justify another act of violence. What about the woman's physical health if it's threatened? Again, extremely difficult. But why does this justify intentionally killing the unborn child? What about the woman's psychological health? Again, you don't have a right to kill an innocent person because of your psychological health, as real as that might be. But what about because of serious fetal abnormalities? This would be, first of all, this is an inhumane reason. Specifically, as a Christian, it would be despicable to say that that because someone will be born with a deformity, they, they don't have a right to life. What about social or economic reasons? When do social economic reasons give a right for a parent to kill their children? Never. Because I've heard this. I was I was in, in the top of my sports and athletic career, but then I had a I had a baby. I was gonna have a baby, so I had an abortion. What? Like that gave you the right to have an abortion because it, the baby got in the way of your plants? Then the majority, 92.3%, give no reason. Oh, and then another reason um is if the mother wants the baby, right? Because that that's that's how we determine the value nowadays is the deciding factor if the baby lives or if it ends up in the trash can after a dismemberment abortion is if the mother wants him or wants her. Okay, uh, let me give you a couple of scenarios. Let's, let's see what you would choose. Uh, let's say a preacher and his wife are living in tremendous poverty. They have 14 kids already. Uh, the mother is pregnant with their 15th child. I mean, what should they do? Like, let's be real. This is difficult. Tremendous poverty. Who knows? The 15th child might not even have enough food to survive, clothing, shelter. What What? What should she do? If you said yes to abort, you just aborted John Wesley, who became a prominent theologian and evangelist and the leader of the revival movement in England. Here's another example. The father is chronically ill. The mother has tuberculosis. They have four children. One, The first is blind. The second has died. The third is deaf. And the fourth also has tuberculosis. Now the mother finds out she's pregnant with the fifth. What should they do? C- 
could have great abnormalities and could be completely incapacitated for all we know. Should the mother abort? If you said yes, you just aborted Beethoven. Let that sink in. Abortion is not a nuanced topic. There is never a reason to intentionally kill and end the life of an innocent, unborn baby. Not because the baby gets in the way of your plans, your education, you name it. Now, how you help the mother is nuanced and requires a community to help a million percent. But my friends, there is no middle ground in this discussion. You can stand up for the mother and take care of the mother and encourage the mother. And at the same time, you can save the baby. It's not either or, it's both and. Don't believe the lies of culture, of Planned Parenthood, or the newest celebrities. So where does that leave us? If you call yourself a Christian, my friend, I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to say something very directly to you. You cannot be pro-choice, my friend. Because we've already established pro-choice is not, oh, pro the free will to choose. Look, stop that, okay? that does That's not what it means. You cannot be pro-abortion, my friend. You cannot be pro the intentionally killing of an innocent life. You cannot do that. You can be pro-woman and you can be pro-baby, but you, you can't be pro-abortion. Don't be apathetic about this. I strongly encourage you to do two things after you've listened to this episode. Go look up Live Action. They're an amazing organization, nonprofit organization, and they have endless resources on how to stand for life and how to stand for the mothers and care for them as well. Also, go check out Case for Life as the author goes into more details, well, about what the name is, The Case for Life. I know it's not popular to go against the grain of culture. Abortion is a huge industry and it is a spiritual demonic force on this country. It is easier to accept the narratives of our culture and just add a Christian twist to them so that we don't, we, we can stand on both, right? We don't have to be yelled at by the culture because we somewhat agree with them and we can still claim to be Christians because we're just adding a Christian twist to the world's narratives. Unfortunately, too many Christians, and I'll say this pretty strongly, lack a spine to stand up against this giant, but we have to. We have landed in idle moralism, just freeloading off a pro-choice culture. But my friend, you and I can be the counter-current generation, a generation that will not bow to this culture, nor will we sit down and just shrug our shoulders, but we're going to stand. Stand for life for the mother and for the baby. Share this episode with a friend and let me know your thoughts. And we'll see you in the next episode of The Andrew Macho.